Hi, and welcome to the Overflow Podcast. I'm Chuck Ammons, lead pastor of Overflow Church in Brandon, Florida, and we are here to help you receive the Father's love and to release it to everyone you encounter everywhere. Wherever you're listening from today, your God adores you. I pray this message elevates and ignites your faith. On this podcast, you will find biblical messages to activate your faith so you experience the goodness of God and the greatness of your unique voice in His kingdom. To find out more about Overflow Church, visit us at overflowchurch.com or on Facebook at Overflow Church Brandon. We'd also love to encourage you to check out our book, Life in the Overflow, and its accompanying devotional on amazon.com. Well, it's my joy to welcome you to the Good and Great Podcast. I am Chuck Ammons. I'm a husband of my high school sweetheart and my best friend, Jill, the dad of five amazing kids and a number of foster children that we get the joy of seeing God reunify them with their family. And I am a son that is captivated by the love of an unspeakably good father. I'm a lead pastor to some of the most incredible lovers of Jesus in the world at Overflow Church in Brandon, Florida. And I am an author, and I've started this good and great podcast to continue a conversation concerning two critical needs I see for the days we're in. And so this podcast is being recorded with two goals in mind. The first one is this. I want to help sons and daughters come alive under the goodness of God as Father, as revealed in the unveiled image and face of Jesus Christ. I want us to be able to walk in deeper intimacy and trust and faithful surrender, and I believe that God has most clearly seen in the face of Jesus. And the second is, so it's about goodness, but the second is I actually want to equip people to uncover the greatness of their own unique voice in Him, to unlock confident joy in how you specifically follow and release God's love to the world, because to each one that is listening to my voice right now and live here in the room We need your voice. And so on this podcast, we'll be discussing theology and the Bible, an overview of books of my own and some friends, and then I'll be interviewing a variety of people to help us with one or both of those. They'll be friends, new and old, but all of them have a lived experience in conversations to help us walk worthy of the gospel. And so today is our first episode of the Good and Great Podcast, which is awesome. And I'm excited for two reasons. Number one, we are coming live from my home church, Overflow Church. And depending on what the mic's picked up, either you realize that or you're like, no, you're not. You're actually just in your room and you keep shouting for no reason. The second reason I'm super excited is this. I get to interview on this first episode some of my dearest friends, Philip and Anna Mull, on the day of the release of Philip's very first book, I Am the Rich Man. So... It is my joy to welcome Philip and Anna. And so welcome, guys. Welcome to the show. Thanks for having us on. We're very excited. Isn't this great? Yeah. So being here live, it's like you get to do a podcast in front of 150 yeah. of your closest friends. Yeah, so I'm, that's, I'm not familiar with too many podcasts whose like inaugural episode is a live studio audience. This is so. how we find out. We find out is yeah. it going to sink or swim right here. <laughs> right here, right off that's, the bat. You know, I like, I like high risk, so it'll be fun. <laughs> Well, listen, I want to give your, your official bio, but then obviously I have some personal connections. So okay. the Moles are missionaries with Wycliffe Bible Translators since April of this year, 2023. Philip is an aircraft mechanic and a pilot assigned to Wycliffe's sister organization, JARS, which works to support and sustain the work of Bible translation. And Anna is a speech therapist who works with the Missionary Kids Care Team, 
providing needed therapy, education, and care to missionary families who are doing the work of translation. Of course, Philip and Anna are also beloved members of Overflow Church who are going to be sent out from this place in January of 2024 for their first stop on the mission field. So officially, that's your biography, but here's the deal. I've had the opportunity to know you in a totally different context. So before we could talk about this book, I think it's only fair to let anybody listening understand the relationship that's taken place here. So I got to meet you, Philip, uh, first as a young teen. In fact, the first time I actually remember spending time around you, I'd been invited out to your parents' house to my longtime friends, Giants in the Kingdom, Richard and Don Mole, who are here in the room today. Give it up for Richard and Don. And I, b- I believe the occasion was for the blessing of their oldest son, Andrew, who is also here today. And, and it was not long after that that you guys started coming around the youth group. I think when I was there at your house, you were like out on lawn skis in your backyard or something. Making I, was some pro- I was probably in the woods. That's <laughs> behind your house. Yeah. So then you, you came to the youth group, and I got the joy of, in all the years after that of serving as your youth pastor. And so you know, I just got to share. I'm, I'm glad that you still describe it as a joy. It, it's a joy. <laughs> But I got to tell you, there, there are four things that stand out to me about being your youth pastor. So if you don't know Philip, the first one I would say is this. I, I saw from a very young teenager to present day, uh, Philip is a man of complete abandon. Just everything that he does, he does all out. And what I loved is the way that Philip worshipped Jesus as a young teen moved the room. It just changed people, the pure pursuit of how he went. And actually, it gripped me as his youth pastor, I was the one in the room often that's like, I'm the one that's supposed to be teaching this stuff. And I saw in your eyes, Philip, it, it, like you were the age of 13 or something. And I saw, you know what? There's more to this gospel. There's a God that loves me. And all that, I'd gone to Bible college, I'd gone to seminary, but I always felt like I was like this close to spiritual breakthrough. And, and I couldn't just quite get there. And it was part of what God used to really inspire that for an early awakening in my life in early 2015, which is pretty powerful. So the first thing I see from you is complete abandon, okay? Okay. The second thing I see about you is what I'd have to call a refreshing boldness. So Philip is super humble and teachable, but goodness gracious, will he just say it? He'll just walk in a room and whatever is on his mind. And so I remember this. I don't even know if you remember this, but Philip had been a mid-teen, and this is way before we had come to understand anything about fivefold ministry and diversity within the kingdom. So he came up to me one night after youth, and he said, Pastor Chuck, I just love our youth group. I just need to ask one question. It feels like you preach the same message every single Wednesday night. (laughs) Is that intentional? I mean, it just feels like you're telling us the same way to just surrender everything, give everything to Jesus, and that's important. And you know what? It's like, well, the eye can't save the hand. I don't need you. But I was like, God bless you, Philip. You'll just say it. And to this day, if you've ever known Philip, Philip will walk in and just Say it. Again, I'll reiterate, I'm glad that you describe it as a joy. That's <laughs> <You're> faster. <laughs> oh, don't worry. I'm getting to the other side of the story. Good, good. The third thing I recognize about you, Philip, is Philip and, and his brother and their family are highly competitive. They love to play. They're going to win. And they're going to look for any loophole possible to win. Yeah. And so with them and the Harper family. So I had the Harper boys and the Mole boys in my youth group at the same time. <laughs> all of these, that all share that same trait. And so me and, and Jessica, who led uh, the games of our youth ministry, like we found every way to tie up every loophole. So it got to the place where we'd introduce a game and we'd spend 15 minutes going through the rules because it'd be, you can't do this, you can't do that. And I'd look, and if I see Philip still smiling, I know there's something we hadn't covered yet. 
And so then I think a little bit more. But they just love to compete. They love to win. See, the, the Harpers were always more competitive, like more athletic. And so we just had to be smarter. That was, and, and that was our that was strategy. Good. I like that. <laughs> so, so it leads me to the fourth one, Philip. And probably if anybody were to ask what stands out to me like that is completely unique that I've never seen anywhere, um, Philip's a bit of a prankster. And so at the time Philip came through the youth group, there was a no prank policy that Philip apparently takes his orders from God before man. So he decided that that didn't apply to him. But Philip was so good at pranking that with his first prank, I didn't even know I had been pranked. So I'd gone away with my family. This time, Philip was a mid-teen. I think we'd gone away for Thanksgiving or Christmas or something like that. And this was before you knew what you were dealing with. Yes, that's right. I I just saw the first three. I just saw sweet Philip. And so we went away, and we come back. And in my backyard, I'm not kidding you guys, I get in my backyard, and it looks like we've been completely vandalized. There are street signs all over my backyard, like one's hanging from a tree on what looks like a noose. There's like a railroad crossing sign. There's a mangled up stop sign, like all around our backyard. And our backyard was fenced in. So I was like, I got little kids, right? What in the world's going on? So I'm not messing around. I called the cops, right? I'm like, (laughs) something happened. So the police come and they look around and they're like, this is the weirdest thing we've seen. Because if it were like, if it were just vandalism, They would have gone on your back porch. They would have destroyed things. Your fence is great. Your trampoline is great. All your kids' toys are great. Nobody's messed with anything. Nothing's missing. I said, no. And they're like, they just hung signs? And I was like, and I pointed. I was like, that one's on a noose. This is a hate crime. (laughs) So the police officer, he's like, what do you want? I said, fingerprint these signs. Run it through your system. Do your thing. We have been violated. And so he just says to me calmly, he says, well, listen, I, I, I hear that you're a youth pastor. Is there any chance this could have been something, somebody in your youth group? I said, sir, you need to understand, nobody that knows me would find this in any way humorous or funny. Nobody would ever do this. So here's the deal. That story gets out here, and nobody says anything for about six months. Well, we we were on vacation when you shared it here. So you didn't hear. I never even knew that it was out until I was babysitting your kids two years later. So, so listen, so we're, it wasn't that long. We're years down the road now. And then all of a sudden, there's a day where Philip's sister, Rachel, who is now in the youth group, is at our house in our backyard, and she makes a statement. Now, here's the deal. Philip's really good at hiding secrets. Rachel is not. <laughs> So Rachel gets out in the backyard, starts looking around. She's like, oh, this is an interesting backyard. And then she just starts asking really weird questions. Has anything ever happened back here that's unusual? And I was like, uh, so somehow it leads to this story. And I see a smirk on her face. And I was like, Rachel Mull, you know something. <laughs> and so anyway, that's where we found out that this was Philip. And so what I love about Philip's pranks is Philip never needed the credit. Philip's joy was just like, I'm going to prank you, and if I get away with it, even better. So my favorite ones, I just want to share, because there was a few. Well, and I, I want to share. I heard about the conclusion of this one <laughs> by the time I had finally oh. sworn off of pranking you anymore. Yes, yeah, you, you had already jumped in with more. So Philip learned that I didn't like cats, and so one year on Christmas, uh, it's nighttime, it's Christmas night, doorbell rings, I come to the door, there's a wrapped box making noise. 
and I opened it up, and Philip brought his cat and wrapped it at my front door. That one I knew. I shouted, so they have video of me going, Philip, across the... But my favorite of all time, Philip, favorite, I get up on a Saturday morning. We lived in a cul-de-sac that was surrounded by like five neighbors, and we were by far the youngest. Everybody else had had kids that moved out, and our kids were really loud, so I was always really aware of like us not being troublesome neighbors. So I walk out like Saturday morning to go get something from the mailbox, and I'm I just, like, I imagine you like in your robe. Oh, it like was like it hand. was PJs, slippers. Like I'm out there, like hair sticking up, and I find myself on my driveway in the middle of a live crime scene. <laughs> There's caution tape all the way around my driveway. There's a chalk outline of a body. <laughs> There's a knife down on the ground and little numbers that say one, two, three. There's a ketchup stain across. And I'm standing in the middle, I kid you not, I kneel down to where the knife is and I look up across the cul-de-sac and there's my neighbor just staring at me. <laughs> I said, is everything okay? I said, it's all right, I'm a youth pastor. So, um, so I gotta say, that was, that was my coming to know Philip. And so Philip came through the youth ministry, graduated. Wait, would you say that like endeared me to you? You know, it or, definitely made a permanent imprint. There you go. I'll settle for that. I'll settle yeah, for that. Yeah. So you graduated, and then you actually moved away um, to your training at ITEC, which is the aviation ministry of Steve Saint, the son of Nate Saint, uh, which was one of the missionaries that died in Ecuador as a martyr in 1956. You're in Ocala, and this is where, thank God, you meet Anna. <laughs> and Anna, like, what a godsend you are. <laughs> Oh, hang on. I, let's make sure your mic is, is on. Is it on? There we go. I don't do pranks. So what's what a godsend <laughs> you are, Anna. A little bit of a damper. Uh, you know, you have every bit. If ever you've seen a couple that was just created to be together. Yeah. I mean, really. Every bit, the passionate and pure pursuit of Jesus, all the joy, all the creativity and the life. But thank God, you ground and bring some stability to this crazy man. Um <laughs> I had the joy in getting to know you guys, and Anna, you specifically, I got to be a part of your wedding, and then you moved here, you've been coming to Overflow. As many of you who are live in the room here just got to see today, Anna is a powerful worship leader, and what I love about the way you lead worship, Anna, is you lead as a daughter. So when you lead, there's this sincere way of just coming. The same thing I said about Philip, it's, it, it is a, it, it's humble, but it's courageous that you will say what needs to be said in a room. And you will point all of our attention away from you and away from us. And it's always all eyes on Jesus. And it's just refreshing to see you come in. So when the two of you said that God had called you out to the mission field, like that for us has been the greatest joy to be able to partner with you and to walk alongside that. And, and so for those of you who don't know, Philip and Anna, while they've been here, they started our sub-30 ministry, so, which is awesome. I actually got an opportunity. So now since this point with you guys getting ready to go on the mission field, you started it. And you've handed leadership over to Ben Trussler, who's doing an amazing job leading that group. And then I got to hang out with him this week. And, man, what a powerful ministry. What an amazing family. And that's a legacy that you guys are, have shared here. And now we get to send you out, but yet keep you as part of our family. And so it's just, it's amazing. Um, I know we've got a lot to talk about today. You've got a brand new book. And there's so much to discuss. So I want to dive into this a little bit. And so this is how I kind of want to share it. So on this Good and great. Every, every person that I'm talking to, I'm talking one aspect or the other. Okay. I'm either talking about how is it that you have helped um, see the goodness of God as revealed through Jesus so that we can really see God can be trusted. He's good. 
Or how is it that you're walking in a place that the uniqueness of your own voice, how you found your path, can be instructional and inspirational for us to walk and find our own path? And in this case, I wanted to interview you guys first because you're both. You're walking in the heart of both of these, Mm -hmm. is that it's all about the goodness of God, but I really think as people hear your path and where you're going, there's going to be shackles that are going to fall where people are going to say, okay, now I know how to follow the Lord. Mm -hmm. So this book that you've written, okay, is right at the right time. So we're in a message series at our church. We get to give, and it's all about courageous generosity, and you've written a book called I Am the Rich Man, The Rich Young Ruler's Prophetic Call to a Modern Age. Now, if you had asked me, did I believe that you would be an author (laughs) when you were setting up crime scenes Uh in my front and backyard, that was a miracle. I didn't know that was coming. But can you, just, can you just share a little bit about this book? Like, like, tell us what drove you to write this book specifically as your first book. And if both of you could share a little bit about what God has taught you through the process of writing this. So tell us a little bit about the book itself okay. and what drove you to write it. Okay, yeah, that's a very big and open question. Thank you, Chuck. Now I will figure out how to navigate that. So uh, the book, it came primarily out of like my own time and study of the word. Um, I, I had... I was reading a book by a guy named Eugene Peterson, who, fantastic Eugene author. Peterson. He wrote the Message Bible. And, you know, growing up, I'm always, I've always heard, like, the Message Bible is a joke. You know, you can find the Krispy Kremes recipe in the Message Bible, you know. <clears throat> and then uh, after reading his, his book, I was like, there's something that this guy has discovered in doing his own paraphrase of the Bible. Like, to just engage with the word that in-depthly for an amount of time, like, I'm like, this guy has just a super deep understanding, and I want that. So I started going through it. Like, I'd pick a book and just write my own paraphrase, which will never see the light of day because I'm sure it's heretical in some way. <laughs> um, but, you know, I'm just, like, trying to understand and put it in my own words. And I came across the story of Jesus and the rich young ruler, and I was like, I have no idea what this guy's life Like, who is this person? You know, there's three descriptors given about him. He's rich, he's young, he's a ruler. I'm like, I don't know what any of those mean in this context. Like, rich is like, you know, CEO status, or rich is like Jeff Bezos status. Right. I don't know. Uh, Ruler of what? Like, it's just like, there's not enough there, I feel like, for me to to pull from. So I'm like, all right, I'm going to start hitting commentaries, and I'm getting, like, nothing. Like, just not a lot of real depth about who this person was other than some theories of what other character in the Bible he is. And I'm like, those seem kind of unfounded, (laughs) but okay. Um, So I was like, all right, I'm just going to start researching. You know, I've taken a few Bible classes, so I'm sure I know enough. Um, So, you know, I'd get books on, or uh, like read articles on what does this term rich mean in that context or uh, interview uh, a professor at a local like bible university hey what do you think about this guy's life what does this mean what does that mean um and the sort of the picture that started to form of who this nameless guy was was like what i thought was like sort of some of the ideals of christian uh he's wealthy he owns a lot of property he manages a lot. The ruler is like probably ruler of a synagogue. So like runs a church, right. basically. Runs a church, has lots of money, and he's really young for where he is. And he's pretty religious because Jesus is like, hey, 
make sure you do these commandments. And he's like, I've done them since my youth. I'm like, what? okay, well, then why does this guy walk away sad right. if he's what I think I'm supposed to be? So I just started, like, pouring through what is this interaction that's happening between Jesus and this guy? You know, what are the questions that are actually being asked? Um, and what would it look like to get things right where this guy maybe got off track? So the book kind of runs through the progression wow. of as deep as I am able to go, which is, you know, somewhere, but is not the depths of what could be told of this person. Then just breaking down what's this interaction and what's being said, and then starting to really, uh, like, hold up a mirror between him and me and sort of the Christianity that I've grown up around to say, okay, where are we getting off track? Um, well, I, I love that, and I've had the opportunity uh, before the book was written to actually read through, give thought. It's, this is phenomenal. And so this is one of the things that you wrote at the very beginning of the book. You said that this book is, is partly an attempt, you say, to grapple with topics I feel are most pressing for the church at this cultural moment, and also that you find yourself gripped by how much you see the young ruler in you, yeah. in the church, and why it must change. And then you go on to talk about this trap that all of humanity can be prone to fall into. Yeah. And I love this quote. You say, when we're driven by fear into lives of safety, security, and comfort, seeking to amass wealth and acquire power to transcend the struggles of the material world. Yeah. And man, did that get me. Because you, you talk about what is needed in a cultural moment. Yeah. The rich young rulers you just defined him sounded like the spiritual American dream. Yeah. It sounds like what we've said. And so this topic, and I know the, the three of us have talked about this before, but the topic of consumerism. Yeah. I, I got to sit with the sub-30 group that you started this past week, and I told them one of the things I wish would have been taught to me early in Christianity that wasn't yeah. was that suffering is a core part of the gospel. Uh -huh. And that consumerism, which is this idea that you follow Jesus and you follow the rules and you get stuff, yeah. mm -hmm. it totally waters down the fact that, A, Jesus is the treasure. Yeah. There's no other pursuit. Yeah. It's him. If you got him, you sell the field, yeah. right? Anything else you've got. But then what it does is it sets up a system of idolatry that doesn't look really that different from anything in the Old Testament or the yeah. rich young ruler's story, where actually we start to spiritualize pursuits of even good things, yeah. right? And call them holy. And so you guys dove into this picture of, of really helping us to strip away and get back to the pure gospel. Yeah. So can we talk, talk a little bit about consumerism, where you've seen that? Because I love that you said, mm. okay, I, I see it in me, yeah. and I love that you went there first, because we've got to look at the plank in our own eye before the speck yeah. in our brothers. But you said, I also see it in the church. Yeah. And for me, that was what screamed. I was like, this is a book that is needed for today. Yeah. What is it that you're seeing with consumerism that's coming around the church that really gripped you and Anna as you've watched him? Mm. Because I know you really, you both live the, the message of this book. What is it you guys have seen that you believe is the charge out of consumerism today? So I, I think a great passage that, so, I mean, consumerism is just like, we are advertised in every aspect of life to like live like kings and treat ourselves like kings. And it's like, it's all for me, right? But then I read like Hebrews 11 and everybody loves Hebrews 11. You know, it's the faith chapter of the Bible. You have stories of people receiving the dead back, um, receiving promises fulfilled, seeing 
kingdoms toppled, like all this great stuff, and then we stop before the end of the right. chapter. We, I was going to say, we like the first half yeah, of the chapter. Yeah, we like the first half of the chapter, but then it ends with like, and some were sawn in two, <laughs> and they went around in sheep's clothing because they were persecuted. And then it ends with, and all of these did not see what they were hoping for. And I'm like, okay, what, like, the, the outcome in my life in a, like, a external sense of how much do I have does not actually bear witness to my life in the kingdom or my life in in context of the gospel and of faithfulness to the Lord. Because faithful, faithful Christians have suffered and been destitute and been persecuted. And they are saints just like the ones we idolize who we would consider winners. Right. You know, those who saw victory and success. But those other guys, like, they didn't see success or victory. I don't want to idolize people that didn't win, you know? And it's like, but Jesus willingly gave himself over to suffering. And it says he learned obedience through what he suffered. Right. And he gave himself over to death. Like, am I willing to do that? You know, I can look at Jesus and be like, he came back to life. Yeah, but he still had to go through death. (laughs) Right. You know? So, like, I feel like there's such a core message in the gospel that is it's not about you. It is about a kingdom that the Lord is wanting to establish, that we get to be a part of building, but it, it takes work and sacrifice, and we don't always see immediate benefit. Yeah, and the, the emptying of ourselves. And Anna, I really want to ask you, because one of the things I love, being on the worship team with you, I love the, the prophetic voice you bring. And so now we talk about prophetic. That's become in vogue again today. It's cool to be prophetic. I would go back and look at the Old Testament prophets because very much to the point you're saying yeah. is that to be a prophet is normally to stand in the midst of a culture with a message that most people are not yeah. willing to listen to yeah. and they will cast you out for it. And you've got to be courageous and bold and yeah. loving and compassionate to stand in the dock and say it anyway. And so, Anna, I love, because I, I happen to know one of your greatest pet peeves when it comes to the modern worship movement is all of these songs that we write that end up just being about ourselves, Yeah. right? Like, in other words, like, Jesus, why are you so great? Because you make me feel good. Jesus, you're great because you give me stuff. And Jesus... When, when, you, can cut, when you can insert, like, Jesus is my boyfriend as the concept instead of Jesus is my Lord and Savior, <laughs> like, we've got an issue. Yeah. So. So, so what I would love to hear from you, because that's so true in everything you see, and, and even now, again, those listening to the podcast won't know, but in our worship service earlier... And I watch you do this so often. Before you could say a word, we weren't going to hear Anna speak. We were going to hear the word of God speak. And you read the word of God in faith and reminded all of us, oh, no, that's actually what moves us and changes us. It's not you're going to come and give this, this word. So where have you seen, in, really in the movement of Christianity, this idea of how we are elevating self, you know, putting ourselves in all the songs, putting us there, and the charge back to elevate the beauty of the gospel. Yeah, I think a big, um, a big thing is just like we live in our culture, and we are influenced by our culture. That's it's kind of an inevitable thing. Something that I think is a beautiful potential of the church is to re- be come together and remind us of 
we're living outside the culture and reminding us of our, our true kingdom identity. And something that I've noticed missing in a lot of worship songs um, and even, even messages, if I listen to YouTube, and um, there's, there's just a lot of head knowledge, but there's not a lot of just scripture. We don't just read the scripture and sit in it. We, we'll take a verse, and then we'll hop over to another verse and tie it into our idea of what we're trying to talk about instead of really sitting in what is God saying. Right. And, and so since we don't see it in a, when we all come together and we are encouraging one another, this is a, that's one of the biggest, I think, benefits of a corporate gathering is that mutual encouragement um, and exhortation. And if we're not doing that here, like how much is it happening at home? Um, how much are we learning how to love the word of God? Yeah. Yeah. Well, and, and I love that idea, right? So we get back to the place of Jesus is the treasure. Jesus is everything. And you talked about the rich young ruler. I think for a lot of us, we would even say to all that, we'd amen all of that, not even seeing ourselves in it. Right. Oh, yeah, that's true. We do, people do need to do that. Yeah. And, and I think we don't even realize the fact that a lot of times the reason we can't just receive Jesus as the treasure is we don't think we're the rich young man or the yeah. rich young woman. Yeah. We look and we say, oh, well, no, I'm not Jeff Bezos. Yeah. I'm not. I don't have all of this. And so then we forget this. You know, right now the statistic says that if, if you have running water, clothes on your back, a roof over your head, and you know where your next meal is, those four things, you are richer than 99% of the population. You're the yeah. richest one so the truth is we are the rich man. Oh, yeah. That's us. That's where we're living. But I think when we constantly keep this, you know, social media, the, the Instagram feed before us of everybody else we're trying to keep up with, right. then what ends up happening is we start seeing other blessings, other ways, even testimonies, things God has done in the life of somebody else. It's awesome. Yeah. But then we see that and go, oh, that's success. I need to leave this place of abiding and run after that thing. Right. And we start looking at what the blessing is. We start wanting the blessing instead of the one who gives the blessing. Right. Yeah. yeah. And then what happens is it doesn't satisfy. So you're only left with two possible outcomes. One, the blessing doesn't come. And so now I resent God and I resent the church. And the reason is because I didn't get my stuff. Yeah. Or number two, the blessing does come. And the blessing is shallow and hollow. And it doesn't fulfill the desire of your heart. And then you get yeah. to the place where you got everything you always wanted and you're still restless. Yeah. And you chase the next blessing. Yeah. I heard a really interesting quote from Johnny Erickson Tata um, that she was talking about gratitude and how she gave this illustration of someone, um, what gratitude can look like and or why gratitude is so important is say someone starts com comes to your house and says, I want to give you $100. You're flabbergasted. Like, oh. Okay, and then he comes the next day and the next day, and he just keeps giving you $100. And then after a couple weeks of this, you're, like, expecting it. And so you're, like, just leave it in the, in the mailbox. Um, I'm in the shower. Like, I've got to run. I got errands. plans tonight, got but plans. you can leave your $100. Uh, but you can leave it there. Like, um, and so you, you start to go into entitlement, and you're, you feel entitled to the blessings that are actually gifts. And so what, a, um, and then what she led into is like, when we take time to just think about all that God gives, like that list is endless no matter where you are um, in, or what you're struggling with, how dark your life is. I mean, she was talking about when she had lost the ability to use her body. Um, 
after a diving accident. And she's like, I did not feel grateful. I couldn't, but because the Bible said, give thanks in all circumstances, I was challenged by that. So I started saying thank you, and what happened was I started to feel thanks yeah. Yeah. afterwards. It yeah. didn't come right away, but I still, because I had the word and what the word said was, give thanks in all circumstances, okay. And then she started to recognize all the blessings, yeah. and it became harder to take for granted the, the blessings that were actually gifts. Oh, so good. Yeah. I think that link between gratitude and generosity, yeah. it's an inseparable link. Yeah. Right. If, if you walk in a life of gratitude, it has to show itself in generosity. Out of the overflow of the heart, yeah. the mouth speaks, right? So everything we're ever going to do is, is what is the condition and the state of our heart. And that's why I love this book because really most of what you do, you address the problem really well and really humbly and really succinctly. Um, and Philip, I'll say you don't give yourself enough credit. There's, uh, you walk as a son with his father and the revelation in here is gripping. Um, what I love, though, is the second part of your book. Because it's easy to show up and say, there's a problem, <laughs> yeah. right? We can all find you the problem. are all failing. Yeah, like, like we're all getting it wrong, Do America. Better. Like, yeah, we can see that. But you actually give briefly and really strong, you give five calls to action. Yeah. You give a call to humility, yep. a call to honesty, a call to poverty, a call to justice, and a call to patience. Yeah. Now, I know this is a tall order. And we don't want to have them read the whole book because we want them to go buy the book. Uh -huh. Can you just give just a brief definition yeah. of each of those of kind of what, hey, these are the five calls I see that we need if, if we identify yeah. and say, yeah, I'm one of the richest 1% of the world. Yeah. So uh, they're, they're laid out in the book in the way that they are, in the order you just gave, because I see them as very much like a progression. You know, if we start with humility which um, uh, I, I'm defining as, um, it, there's like this idea of humility, which is just, I, I have a very low view of myself. Uh, I'm unimportant. Right. And that's not entirely humility because we see like Moses and God show up to Moses and be like, hey, I'm going to use you. And Moses is like, oh, but I'm not really good at speaking. Um, doesn't matter that I was educated by like Pharaoh's palace in right. Egypt, who's like the superpower of the day. I'm just not great at speaking. Lord, you should find someone else. It's like, okay, come on. I think on. that's what he sounded like too. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. He kind of had that like Cali, that Cali like girl that. voice. Yeah, yeah. That's right. Like, no, that's just not for me, Jesus. Um, and, uh, and so it's like, okay, that's not humility. Right. Humility would actually be having like a correct view of yourself and your position. So a, a positive example would be Mary, the mother of Jesus. And like I, I put in the book, like I cannot fathom that ask and what it meant in that circumstance in her life yes. in the first century to be like, will you carry the son of God in your womb out of wedlock? It's like, ah, uh, like that could go really bad for me, God. I don't know if you know that or not. But like, they could stone me if I show up pregnant, not married to Joseph yet. Um, so it's like, I can't even fathom like the magnitude of that ask. Yeah. And her response was, I am your servant, Lord. Yeah. Let it be done unto me. As you've said. And it's like, dang, <laughs> like, that teenage girl has more guts than I do. Um, That's one of the reasons that I loved over 20 years serving as a youth pastor was that very thing. Was, was walking in and seeing that level 
in students like you of just true humility of saying, oh, God said it? Okay. I don't think I've accomplished or figured out anything, but yeah. may it be as I've said. So, so the first call then is the call to humility. Yes. Yeah. So the one after that would be honesty. And, you know, we think honesty is just like, don't lie yeah. about having eaten your vegetables, you know? Like, uh, honesty, I feel like, really needs to be a core thing in ourselves, and we need to be honest with ourselves a lot of times. Um, in that interaction between Jesus and the rich young ruler, Jesus comes to him with that last question of, like, leave everything and follow me. And in that moment, he has to have a very honest conversation and interaction with, his, with himself and come out and say, mm, actually, in my heart, what I have is more important than what you're asking me to do, Jesus. Right. And it's like, if we don't operate or have that sense of self-awareness and that honesty within ourselves, like, how is the Lord going to disciple us and mature us if we don't even know the things in our own hearts that are holding us back, you know? Like, let's say, oh, I have terrible bitterness against this person in my life, against my spouse or something like that. And it's like, if I don't ever self-assess to recognize that that's in there, this is never going to be whole. So, like, honesty is really key. And, I mean, humility kind of needs to come before that to be right. like, I'm not perfect. Right. All right, now let's take an honest self-assessment of what's going on. Well, and, then, and then you lead. So I think you go through your first two calls. We've heard them a lot. Yeah. Call to humility, call yeah. to honesty, and they're powerfully shared. But then you get to your third call. Yeah. I'm only being a touch provocative with that title. Right, and it's, and it's the, the call to poverty. Yeah. Tell us about that. Okay, so, man. Reading through the Gospels, I've been blown away over and over again by how many teachings there are warning against having lots of money. And I'm like, okay, this is a big deal to Jesus for some reason. I don't totally get it because I'm an American and I'm supposed to have lots of money. Um, so, like, why, why is this a problem? So it's somebody else's problem. Yeah. yeah it's Jeff so, Bezos yeah. needs to read this. Yes. You know, the, the really rich people. Like, I'm not that rich. Um, but it's, like, over and over again. And I, it, like, it, it was, it's kind of like money is not inherently a bad thing. But money is two things. One it is like a corrupting force because it gives us access to immediately gratify anything we desire, including well all said. the safety of, ooh, you know, what, what's, is it uh, Maslow's hierarchy of needs? Is that what it is? So it starts with like food and water and shelter, and then it gets into like more social things like belonging and purpose. And, like, the, the most revised one ends with transcendence. Trying to remove yourself from all of the struggles yep. and ick of the world. Like, money gives you the opportunity to remove yourself from any struggle or any unknown or anything that would cause you to feel unsecure. Right. So it's like, okay, the money, like, the Bible actually talks about being able to turn a profit is a good thing if you're shrewd with it and are using it for kingdom purposes. Like, yeah. great, you have the ability to like, bring together resources to help people, right. amazing. But if it's like, if you're bringing together resources to seclude further and further from the world which we're called to be redeeming, yes. that's where the problem's at. 
Well, it's the question of do you have resources or do your resources have you? Yes. Right? I mean, that's really yeah. the, the question that comes. Yeah. And I think even when you're looking at the very beginning of the Sermon on the Mount, the yeah. Beatitudes, <laughs> the very first thing Jesus has to say, yeah. and he says it two yeah. different ways in two different yeah. Gospels, and they're both fully inspired. And yeah. I think, again, we have to lean into the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. Yeah. One says, blessed are the poor in spirit. Yeah. Luke just says, blessed are the poor. Yeah. Right? In other words, those who have a, a, an awareness. Yeah of their own poverty. And I, I love what you said because what actually money gives us is the illusion yeah. of escape. Yeah. That's, that's the greatest trap about it is for the people that do it. Oh, I've got all this. I've got this control. I'm going to yeah. escape. And they don't realize that they're, they're in a house of mirrors, right? They're going to keep running back into themselves. Yeah. It's never going to actually satisfy, but it's the, the deceptiveness of wealth, I yeah. think, as the Bible talks about. Yeah. And like in my own life, I have not been able to like, so the, the one after this is justice, but like I, I have not, like, I would not be able to have the perspective for justice unless I have actually seen poverty. Yes. Like, having been in other nations or in places around the world where, like, people are not just, it's not just a poverty that it's like, you don't work hard enough. It's like, this is a slum that expands for miles and miles. And it's a kind of poverty that you, like... I don't care how hard you try, a lot of people will never be able to escape just that system in that situation yes. for a variety of reasons that most of which I don't even totally understand as a, you know, you make it happen, pull yourself up by your bootstraps, American. Right. Um, like, if I had not seen people in that situation and had some understanding of their lives, and like, I would not even be aware of what is happening around me and how can I change it to bring other people up out of those situations. Absolutely. And yeah. I, think it's, I, I think it's the experience of poverty two ways. One is, like you said, seeing poverty yeah. around us, but I think it's also seeing the poverty within us. Yeah. Right? It, it's, it's that dark night of the soul. Yeah. Um, it is the point of suffering being a refiner's fire. Yeah. And we try to run from that. And I find the first time that we're coming, like, I, so, you know, I worked with um, middle school, high school, and college for so many years. And obviously, still work very closely, but that was my ministry. And I found for many that would come uh, of age of, like, Jesus is alive and these promises are real. And they would be yeah. the most on fire worshipers until mm-hmm. they hit a wall and the rules didn't work. Yeah. And then either it turned internal, I must have failed, or it turned external of the book of Job, where are you, God, right? Why have you done this? And it's the point of when we walk through the poverty of our own soul, the place where we look and say, I've prayed every way, I've done everything I know, I'm surrendered as I can be, and life here is broken. There's still a time where he's going to have to wipe every tear. Yeah. I think when we actually can have the experience of pain, suffering, and poverty, then it leads to your fourth call, (sighs) which is now we have perspective for justice. Yeah. Yeah, so in the justice one, like, it's interesting. Like, going back to Genesis, there's a garden, which is a small area on the entire globe, which is, like, the place the Lord said as the prime example. And then he was like, hey, residents of the garden, go and bring this everywhere. So we like to think of the beginning of creation as everything was perfect. It's like, no, that was an isolated area that was meant to spread. We, as participants in the kingdom of God, are still called to be a part of spreading Eden, restoring all creation to the desired like, outcome and picture and vision that the Lord has for it. Yeah. So the justice, we like to think of justice as like, he got his comeuppance, you know? 
Like, we need to bring them to justice. It's like right. a, a retributive justice of you've done something wrong, and now you're going to get Come punishment. On. And that's how a lot of us just imagine, like, just the idea of salvation. Oh, they have lost their salvation. The Lord's judgment is coming for them. And it's like, okay. Or there's, like, kingdom, which is a thing that is expanding. We are bringing people into the kingdom where the Lord is able to move in their hearts, in their lives, restore systems. Yes. Justice, as a word in the Bible, is more often used as a like proactive justice. Yep. You know, just like our yeah, yeah our uh, is it yeah, pledge of allegiance with liberty and justice for all. That's not liberty and comeuppance for all. <laughs> right. You know, that's like <laughs> liberty and equity. Yes. And systems that enfranchise everybody. You also talk about in the book it, how it's coupled with the word righteousness. Yeah. Mo like in so many instances yeah. of where justice comes up. Yeah, like a, th a third of the times that the word righteousness is used, justice accompanies it. Yes. So it's justice and righteousness. So it's like justice being the systems that create the opportunity for righteousness, which is correct relationship, equitable relationship between people between humanity. So it's like those are coupled together because you need both. You need a world that is ordered in such a way where people can have correct and equitable relationships with each other and with the Lord. And, That's yeah. powerful. And then you close the entire thing out with a final call. Final call yeah. to patience. So the last call is patience because I know in me, as soon as I have a revelation, it's like, this is the new lens I see everything through. Why don't other people see it the way I see it? I can't relate with that at all, Philip. I, so like, I find I'm very patient yeah. in myself and other people. Yeah, or like, <laughs> my, my wife gosh. laughs the loudest on the front row. That's awesome. Yeah. It's that, or it's like, I know this thing now, why can't I seem to do it? Yes. Yeah. And it's like, we need patience, one, because the Lord is discipling us. Like, he is the one who sets the pace uh, in the book. So Anna's dad is an avid runner, and one of my friends went on a run with him. And, he, and my friend described it, he's like, you know, when we started, he's like, I'm at, like, old man pace right now. You know, like, this is, like, like I want to run. Why aren't we running? Right. And then he's like, by mile three, I was like, no, he set the right pace. You know, right. I, would be, I would be totally out of steam right now if I hadn't been allowing him to set the pace. So, and like, I would totally burn out if it's yeah. like well, me just trying to do everything. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. So if, if we're allowing the Lord to set the pace, if we have patience for him, not just moving us forward, but moving the world forward as well. Because it says, he is not slow as we count slowness, yeah. but he is patient, come waiting on. for all to come so into redemption. Well, and I love, I love that picture because it brings us back around full circle yeah. to John 15 of him saying, okay, so I've done it all. I'm giving you all this revelation. I'm pouring this all in. Just abide in me yeah. and you'll yeah. bear much fruit in yeah. the fullness of time. Just, just make everything about me. Lift my name yeah. up high. Be in this moment. Be alive. And so I guess the question I have to ask, and again, this is, being able to have a live podcast is our first podcast here. I'll ask in this room, anybody else convinced you need to go get this book today? Yeah, it's good. Um, and so this is exciting because in just a few minutes, we're officially releasing. So right outside the, the door, your book release is taking place. You'll have these for sale. And so I want to ask one last question because yeah. a big part of the reason that you are releasing this the way that you're releasing this yeah. 
and that we've wanted to partner with you in this way is as soon as I saw this, I said, Philip, you know, we've just opened a bookstore. We yeah. need to have this as an ongoing resource because your missionaries that we're sending out, our hearts yeah. are knit to you. Um, we have families here that are regularly pouring in to yeah. support you. And God is allowing this book to become a means of support for you yeah. guys to go on the mission field. Can you just take like just, just five minutes here at the close of this podcast okay. and just give an overview of the mission field that you guys have been mm. called to, where you're going. And then I'm going to ask you a question or two of how we can partner with you. Okay. We're going to pray for you, pray for our listeners, and we'll be done. Okay. So the mission field, where we're going. One, I mean, uh, I, I had to make sure before I released this, uh, I was reading over ESV's like rules for uh, quotations, and I am just within the limits because I quote, like, the there's so many Bible verses yeah. in here. So it's like, I really like the Bible. I think it's important for my own discipleship and development with the Lord. Um, Wycliffe is the ministry we're joining. Their entire vision and mission is make the Bible accessible for as many people as possible so that they can understand it and be transformed. So it's like, I, I can't think of many, like, visions that I feel more passionate about right now other than get the resource of the scripture to as many people as possible in a way, a language and form that they can clearly understand. Um, so that's like, that's the whole purpose of Wycliffe. And so us coming in in support roles, me on like the transportation side, getting people and equipment and translators where they need to be to be doing this work in remote areas. Um, and Anna. So when we were meeting with people, just to give a little bit of context of, and yeah. to encourage you all, like yeah. the diversity of the skill sets needed on the mission field. So um, we were talking to some people that were also JARS pilots working with Wycliffe, that they were stateside, they were not overseas. Um, and they were saying that they had had to come off of the field because their children needed speech therapy services that were just not available in the country that they were stationed. And so Wycliffe made them come home. And so their skill sets were now not where they needed to be because their children didn't have access to mm -hmm. what they needed. And so you know, God, that's just an open door for me to get to come in as a speech therapist. I'll get to provide that um, for families to be able to stay on the mission field and do the things that God is calling them to do. But that's not possible. Like, you don't just need translators. Yeah. And you don't just need pilots yeah. and mechanics. You need a whole host, a whole team of people with a whole host of skill sets. So whatever God is putting in you at this moment, we're all called to be on mission regardless of where that is, if we're going yeah. overseas or if we're staying in our own backyard, we're called to live on mission yeah. with the things that God has put in us. And so examining, like, I wouldn't have been able to say, like, oh, yeah, I'm perfect for Bible translation because I love speech therapy. Yeah. There's no connection there, and yet, God. Yeah. So those dreams and, yeah. and the things that he's just made you for, mm -hmm. There's, a, per like, there's yeah. a perfect spot for you yeah. to fill that. Yeah. But if you're not filling it, then someone else may not be able to fill their role. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, it definitely takes a team to do a project as big as let's translate the Bible for the whole world. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> there, there are lots of moving parts. Um, and we're, we're, I mean, we're very excited to get to fill sort of the small roles that we get to fill. Um, yeah. And, and real quick, just to give context, yeah. there's about um, 1,600 languages <clears throat> that are 
that have no scripture at all yeah. translated wow. into yeah. the language. So there's 7,000 languages spoken and signed yeah. around the world for context. So there's a lot of languages that have the Bible now. Yeah. Um, but there's still a huge number of people that yeah. just don't have access to scripture in a language that yeah. they think in and dream yeah. in. They might be able to access the Bible in a different language, but it, it just doesn't have the same yeah. impact. Yeah. So that's that's kind of the um, the scope yeah. that we're entering yeah. in um, is God is shrinking that number very quickly comparatively, but yeah. it, it still takes 18 years to complete a translation of of the scripture from yeah. Genesis to Revelation. Yeah. So. Wow. Yeah. So you you now in January are taking the next step. Yep. In heading on the mission field, and we have the opportunity to come alongside and support you. So I know that some of the ways you can get support would be monthly sponsorships. Yep. Um, some would be purchasing this book, right? Mm -hmm. It's going to go directly. So how can people get in touch with you? I mean, yeah. obviously those here in the room, they're all going to go buy six copies of the book in just a minute, which is amazing. <laughs> Thank you for your generosity there. And really awesome. appreciated. Um, uh, but, but can you just tell us how we can connect with you and, yeah, and, and know uh, how to support kind of your so real, website? Real quick, um, we do need to give people sort of an update. Um, there has been a little bit of change to our like projected That's timelines right. and stuff. Um, oh, yeah. So Wycliffe, uh, it, what, we are onboarding a new team member onto our little team of two. Um, this is probably going to culminate in them being with us in about April. Yeah. Um, they're currently still in development. <laughs> and uh, there have been some budgetary changes because of that. And I think, I think we even have the picture. You got a picture of your new team yeah. member, don't you? Hey! <laughs> For those listening, Philip and Anna Mull are expecting. Tell us the due date of your precious bundle of joy. April 26th, 2024. Yep. So the Mulls on mission are expanding. <laughs> oh, that's beautiful. So now to follow you, we're coming to MullsOnMission.com. Is that right? Yes, that's where we've got all the information about what we're doing. That's where you can sign up for the regular newsletter that we're putting out. And we have monthly podcasts because I'm like, you know, getting a email newsletter, you know, is only so personal. It's like, I, you don't really feel like you get to connect with the people, right. but when you hear our voice, and like, I start every podcast with a silly question, um, it's like, just feels a little more personal. Like, you get to know us a little more, yeah. and we get to explain, you know, a little bit more of that whole journey of going from just people who work to a life overseas on missions. So, um, we have those resources there. Um, along with links to our Wycliffe portal where uh, you can sign up as a, a regular partner if the Lord's leading you in that way. That's amazing. Well, I want to thank you guys so much for coming and being the very first guest on Ooh. this podcast. And we are so honored by you and your heart. And I would love to pray for you. So yes. I'm going to ask everybody in the room if you could just extend your hands toward Philip and Anna. And we're just going to pray. So Father, right now, I thank you for your call. I thank you for what Anna said about the specific way that you knit our heart before we even know it that you knit us in a certain way to walk out a certain work. And I thank you that Philip and Anna, their story has been one of just as they've come to adore you and make you the treasure, as they've come to seek you first and do so imperfectly, but when they fall down, look back to you, that you've shown up again and again and again and again, and they find that they're on the path and the very track that you made for them. And so, Father, we bless them right now. We bless, Lord, this addition to their family. I thank you for your faithfulness, God. We speak your joy and your peace over every moment. 
Father, of their growing family. I just ask that you would be present for them. I ask that you would go before them. I see, I see you like a bulldozer going before and just clearing the path, clearing the way, and making the very place that you have. And again, Lord, it's not clearing the path so that the path would be easy. It's clearing the path so they would be with you. And so, Father, we thank you. I pray that you'd speed the work that they do, that like the, the fishes and the loaves, that you would multiply what these two, because they've come, really these three malls have come with hands wide open just to follow you. I ask that you would multiply their work. And Lord, for each of us listening and hearing the message today, I just ask that the root would go deep, that you would take what you've been doing in Philip and Anna's life, and really the, the whole heart about the treasure, that right now, that Father, there'd be a move in our hearts toward gratitude away from grumbling and into gratitude. If there's a place where we've been looking and saying, no, everybody else is the rich one, that's not the issue, that we'd stop and say, Jesus, you've been good to me. You've been good to me. You've shown up again and again and again. And we know, Lord, wherever gratitude is, generosity will flow. So I just pray for an increase of gratitude and generosity, not for ourselves, Lord, but for you and for the sake of your name. And we ask it all in Jesus' name, amen. Thank you, Philip and Anna. Thank you for having us.